We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, special guest, friend of the show, Joe Maycar. Joe, how we doing? We're doing well. Time to talk NBA draft. The Brooklyn Nets have two first-round picks slotted at 21 and 22 this year. Uh, Going to be interesting to see what the team does with them. Yeah, there's a lot of options for them. You know, trade the picks potentially, draft two rookies, maybe trade one, keep one, whatever it is. We're going to jump to that and plenty more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Hit that subscribe button. Also give us a five-star review. But Joe, I guess before we get into potential prospects, what do you kind of anticipate the Nets doing on draft night? Do you anticipate them keeping both first-round picks, maybe trading one of those picks, or maybe trading both in a, a superstar trade? So I've learned with the Nets, expect the unexpected. A lot of people do expect these two first-round picks to get traded and expect neither to be made. Some people expect one to be traded. Some people think we're swinging for the fences and just making both picks and trying to hit a home run here. I personally think that one of the picks, either 21 or 22, will get traded for a veteran. I think there was a report on Twitter, not sure how credible it was, but it mentioned, I think it was Brian Lewis, actually, who actually, if that's the case, fairly uh, credentialed and credible source. I think Brian Lewis mentioned that they're trying to move one of the picks for either a proven scorer or a rebounder, which if you watch the playoffs, makes a lot of sense. I mean, rebounding <laughs> has been an issue year in and year out, no matter what year of Nets basketball it is. 2012, 2015, 2019, every iteration we've always needed rebounders. And then scoring, getting Mikhail some help. This one's pretty simple. I mean, Mikhail Bridges is great, but at the end of the day, when you have him as your number one option, Cam Johnson played great, but like, where does the scoring come from next? Especially when Cam Thomas is buried on the bench. And a lot of these guys are a little inconsistent, I know, with the role players. So trying to find scoring and rebounding is what I think they'll do. And ultimately, I expect one of those two picks to be moved on draft night, if not before. Yeah, the masses agree with you. I posted on Twitter today a little poll. What will the Nets do with their two first round picks? 19% said keep both. 57% said trade one and keep one, and 22% said trade both, and 1% said other. So it seems pretty likely that one of these picks will be on the move. I do think that there's a a fair chance that both picks could be on the move. You know, if they do swing for Damian Lillard or even maybe a Pascal Siakam could be something. We're going to jump into that a little bit later. But I guess, Joe, in that 21-22 range— who are some guys, you know, who's the first name that comes maybe to mind that the Nets could look at potentially drafting? 
So I'm going to start off with a few that I'm I'm kind of hopeful. I'm shooting for the stars, but my realistic my realistic expectation is they probably won't be there at 21. I'm going to start with the name Kobe Bufkin out of Michigan. Um, Kobe Bufkin did not get enough attention because his teammate Jet Howard, who also is a target but is projected to go a little earlier, um, kind of got all the shine. Jet Howard is the son of Jawan Howard, former NBA player, um, a wing player. Let me just start off by saying if you love wing players, this is the NBA draft for you. Not a ton of talented big men, like outside of Wemby, it kind of falls off a little bit. But if you need a wing, and maybe even if you prefer a guard, um, this is the draft for you. There's a lot of talent in that department. Kobe Bufkin, uh, very good pick, honestly. Seems like a safe pick to me. Seems like a pick with high upside as well. Combo guard, 6'4", 195. He's a sophomore. My player comparison for Kobe Bufkin. Uh, Left-handed player, so a lot of these guys kind of remind me. But Jalen Brunson, Mike Conley. I'd say D'Angelo Russell is a good comparison, but a better defender, D'Angelo Russell. Like, has more effort on that end of the floor. Uh, Nick Nick Van Exel, that's a throwback name, kind of reminds me of his game. Jordan Poole a little bit. The thing with Kobe Bufkin for me is a lot of these guys, we see this year in and year out. There's always some guy who kind of flies under the radar, and as the draft comes along, you see them, and you're like, wow, like, either how did that guy go so high, or, like, where did this pick come from, or, wow, this guy really boosted his stock with a good combine or something like that. Kobe Bufkin is kind of following that Jalen Williams trajectory. And Jalen Williams of the Oklahoma City Thunder, as we know, pick 12. Never really had any major hype uh, about him, but was a finisher for Rookie of the Year. I think he finished third, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was Paolo Walker-Kessler. No, sorry. I think he finished second, no? Yeah, he was in that top three. And like you said, he was kind of a guy that popped onto the scene and had some really big moments. I mean, he killed the Nets in one of their matchups with OKC. So, you know, Kobe Bufkin... I had a couple notes on him just looking at him. I think, like you mentioned, there is some upside there. I think one of his issues is, you know, probably adding more size and, you know, more muscle, which is pretty attainable, especially when you switch from a college diet to a professional diet and your workload is now focused specifically on becoming a, a great NBA player. I think um, there's some real promise to his game. Like you said, he has good movement skills defensively. You know, as a three-point shooter, he could probably get better off the dribble and that could probably be a big factor in terms of, know how high in terms of impact does he have on the game if he can take that next step as being an off the dribble guy because he does some crafty things with the basketball high basketball iq but could take the next level as a passer as well for sure and uh just to jump off your point i have a couple stats here and a couple notes on kobe buffkin exactly so 71 percent at the rim 68 and a half percent on layups 69th percentile shooting off the catch so obviously shooting off the catch is a big factor here because whether you're star hunting if you're the Nets or whether you're rebuilding, that's always a great skill to have. We know, like, for example, Cam Thomas is great, but one of his weaknesses is shooting off the catch. You know what I mean? He needs the ball yep. in his hands. With Kobe Bufkin, that's kind of where I see the D'Angelo Russell comparison in the sense that he can handle the ball. But if you need to put him off ball, you know what I mean? Like, standing stand in the corner if you have a star next to you, get an open look, take it to the rim. Uh, Kobe Bufkin could help you there. Has three-level scorer potential. Kind of reminds me a little bit of James Harden, but James Harden at Arizona State. So if you watch any bit of Harden in college, you will see a lot of similarities there. Um, Does not have the quickest, this is one of his weaknesses, does not have the quickest first step or speed. He's not one of these guys that's going to constantly blow past the defender. He primarily defends, uh, he primarily relies on getting to the rim using his savviness. You know what I mean? Like he may need a screen. He may get lost on the other end on ball screens, but these are all things that as you get into an NBA system and as you like, as the game slows down to you, you got to keep in mind, a lot of these guys are 20, 21, 19. 
Um, it's it's something he could learn, and I don't see any glaring weaknesses with him. I know people thought he was about 6'2", and then the combine came, and it turns out he was actually a legit 6'4", which actually might have pushed his stock a little towards the back end of the lottery. But uh, Kobe Bufkin, yeah, very good defender. Good block percentage for a guard. His offhand finishes look good. Able to get to the rim in the half court. Uh, ball fakes, hezzies, he uses it all. Excellent vision and passing. Like, that was one thing that stood out for me that kind of like gave me that D'Angelo Russell or even like the Mike Conley comparison. It was his passing and his ability to run the offense. Uh, really impressed me there. Elbow jumper seems to be like his bread and butter. Like that's his spot right there. If you watch his pull up, I don't know, something about lefty guards is just so smooth to watch on a, in the NBA. And Kobe Bufkin would be no different. Um, but yeah, super skinny. That's going to be like, well, as you mentioned, it's going to be a weakness of his, but he's a kid. All yeah, of these guys exactly. are kids at the end of the day. I mean, he'll put on weight, 195 pounds. He has the frame to build into like a big guard. And it's a matter of if it actually happens or not. Yeah. And that'll be a big factor for him, you know, an area where he can easily improve and kind of take that next step. Who do you got next, Joe? Next, I have Bryce Sensabaugh, and I had not heard of him before I started doing my research, but once I started doing my research, I was really impressed by him, and not the biggest name in this draft per se, but honestly, when I started looking at who he reminds me of, when I started looking at his build and some of his stats, like this is a guy that really stood out for me. If I had a lottery pick at the back end and Bryce Sensabaugh is there, I mean, that would probably be probably be my pick, if I'm being honest, so Sensabaugh. Kind of built like a linebacker a little bit, but he's a guy who's going to get you a bucket. Best comparison, I would say, is TJ Warren. That's a great comparison. Our old friend TJ Warren of the Brooklyn Nets, as we know. Uh, small forward, 6'6", 235, so he's got great size. Freshman, so I said TJ Warren, Carmelo Anthony Light, and DeMar DeRozan. These are all people that come to mind. And one thing I should point out is when we mention these player comparisons, obviously it means like shades of this person. It doesn't mean, oh, you're going to get this guaranteed like bucket three level score you're gonna get tj warren you're, it's it's who it reminds us of you know so yep my notes on bryce sensible catch and shoot threat 44 percent on catch and shoot threes also a pull-up threat 52.6 percent on pull-up twos maintains good balance i know this is a tough thing with a lot of prospects and a lot of young players uh trying to remain balanced trying to keep your form trying to even just simple things like which way your like legs dip when you go for the jumper uh, Bryce Sensabaugh is basically a pro as a freshman. Like this, this is an NBA ready guy in my mind. 91st percentile on field goal attempts, 96th percentile on jumpers, 97th percentile in the catch and shoot, 95th percentile when heavily guarded. He takes a lot of difficult shots. That's the one thing I notice about Bryce Sensabaugh. He'll get to the elbow and he'll shoot that little DeRozan turnaround, which is the comparison there. But he makes it work. Not the most athletic, so he's got to use his strength to get to the rim. But, you know, like, he's he has an NBA body. He's 235 pounds, and he's a big wing. Bryce Sensabaugh is not going to have an issue scoring in the NBA. It's a matter of, can we get him to a team that would suit his needs? And if he, you know, I mean, if he goes to Brooklyn, I mean, Mikhail Bridges is there. But Bryce Sensabaugh will kind of have his own lane if this team knows how to develop him. And we've seen in the past, this team knows what to do with development players. Yeah, I think you described him perfectly. You know, he's a strong guy. He's not going to really get pushed off his spots. He's going to finish through contact. He's going to use that body. And that's going to be his way of scoring and his way of kind of creating an advantage. I think the biggest question mark for him is defense. You know, can he defend at the NBA level, you know, on ball and off ball? I agree with that. And basically, like I said, I could read off the whole list, but Sensible is pretty much in the 84th to 97th percentile in every offensive category. Like 
shooting when heavily guarded, dribble jump shots, isolations. This is one of the best scorers in college basketball. And I know it's not like the biggest, sexiest name, but this is an incredibly efficient three-level scorer we're talking about. Comes off screens, fades out of the post. He can face up. He can catch and shoot. He can really do it all on that end. But as you mentioned, the defense, you know, he's an inconsistent defender, especially off ball. I would say that's the real test of a good defender. Kind of gets lazy off ball. I mean, lacks the quickness to stay in front of defenders. 35th percentile on runners. That's an area that needs improvement. Needs to get to the free throw line more. I would say a lot of scores in the NBA, like even the ones I mentioned to you, as comparisons, Carmelo, TJ Warren, uh, DeMar DeRozan, even like Devin Booker. That's a good comparison, too. A lot of those guys get to the line a lot more. Um, you want to see a guy with a bigger body get to the line because it's just free points um, at that point. But his passing is not bad. There's signs of improvement, but it's going to take some time to develop. But other than that, just little things, you know, fouls a lot. That's a common aspect of young rookies and freshmen in college. And needs to improve the left hand a little bit. Kind of has a tendency to be a little tiny bit predictable. But, hey, the shots are working. I like Bryce Sensabaugh a lot. And if he's there at 21, I'm making the phone call if I'm a GM. Yeah, and I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how he adapts to, you know, NBA defenders. And, you know, obviously you're not going to be able to move as many bodies in the NBA as you do in college, especially when you're a little more physically developed than some of those guys. So I think that'd be another test for him. But, Joe, who else are we looking at? So next, this is where it starts to get a little more realistic in my mind, at least. Jalen hood Shafino, the point guard out of Indiana University. And the reason hood Shafino interests me is because he has size, especially for a point guard. And what do we know about the Nets? Knowing history, they kind of like guards, minus Kyrie Irving, who, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll put that example aside. They kind <laughs> of like guards who have size. You know what I mean? Spencer Dinwiddie's 6'6". D'Angelo Russell was 6'5". You know what I mean? Like, even Ben Simmons. I know they didn't quite draft him, or, like, he's not really their homegrown talent, per se, but essentially a big guard. Hood Shafino is 6'6". And let me check my notes, but I believe he has a 6'10 wingspan, which, yeah, he does, 6'10 wingspan, which is crazy for a point guard if you think about it 215 so he's good in that department he's not necessarily like a bulldozer but you don't see that often at the point guard position freshman guard where Jalen Hood Shafino strives is the pick and roll he has very good court vision he's a guy you would trust to run your offense and I see him having a very high floor so this is the question we were talking about beforehand Nick of whether you star hunts which players you look at whether you decide to run it back which players you look at and whether you decide to rebuild. And with Hood Shafino, I feel like there's an argument that you could take him in all three situations. And I feel like his floor is high. And he could just be a reliable backup. I mean, you never know. He can end up being a great starter and the next NBA star. That's the beauty of the draft. But I feel like his floor is a lot higher than a lot of these guys. And just his court vision, his uh, mid-range pull-up game, that's probably another strong aspect of his offense as well. Pressures the rim and finishes when he gets there. As I said before, you know, 6'6", 6'10", wingspan. He's got great frame for a point guard. Change of pace and shiftiness. Like some of these under-the-basket finishes I've seen from Hood Shafino just watching highlights. Um, he, he looks like the real deal. I'm going to keep it real. I don't think he'll be there at 21, but it is a realistic prospect at the same time. You know what I mean? Gets deflections. Score first guard, but he, he can playmake, as I said. So you love to see this from a guy who's projected in the 20s. And with a draft this deep, you're going to see guys like this, like Hood Shafino, Let's pretend he stayed till 2024, would probably be making a case for himself for a solid top 10 pick. But because this draft is so deep, as we've heard before, uh, who knows? He might be there at 21. We know this is a guy who has been tied to the Nets more in any mock draft than I've seen from any other player. So 
look out for Huchifino on draft night. Um, little stuff he has to improve on here and there. A little turnover prone, but again, we see that with young players. The three-point shot is improving, but it does need work. He shot 33%. You do see the form, and you do see how he can become a great three-point shooter, but it's serviceable. It's not like we're not in a Ben Simmons situation or if I have any fellow draft people watching or like an Anthony Black situation. Um, his, his jumper looks promising. He knows how to get to his spots, and this is a guy that even though he's not overly athletic, he's going to get you a bucket when you need, and he's going to be able to run your offense and make guys around him better when he needs. Yeah, he's a, like you mentioned, he's been a guy that's been tied to the Nets essentially since they landed those Suns picks, you know, when the Nets have kind of entered this new stage of being more interested in the draft. Um, I think like you mentioned, you know, does he have enough athletic pop to be a starter or become, you know, an all-star level player? And if he doesn't, can that three-point shot become consistent enough where he becomes, you know, off the dribble thread in the pick and roll situation to kind of open up the rest of his game? But I agree that his floor is high because you know, worst case scenario, you see him kind of just become a backup point guard for the next 10 years rather than become a starter. And I think that's OK. You know, obviously you, you'd you rather swing for a starter or a star, but you do need rotation players and he is a solid defender as well. So it's not like you're losing anything on that end. I think the jumper is just going to be a huge factor for him. You know, is that three point shot become consistent? And that's a huge factor for a lot of guys that are drafted, you know, especially going from the college game to the NBA game because spacing is so important. And if you can develop that. That's what really, in my opinion, would take his game to another level. For sure. And Hood Shafino is honestly one of my favorite picks. If the Nets keep their picks, of course, um, we'll see what he turns into. But again, like you mentioned, very high floor and a very promising prospect. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Who's next? Let's go Gigi Jackson, a very polarizing, tantalizing, and interesting name within Nets Twitter and NBA Draft Twitter. So, Gigi Jackson, you want to start on your notes for him, Nick? Yeah, I mean, Gigi Jackson, I think you look at him, a lot of people have, like you mentioned, either love him or hate him. You know, he's a guy that is very raw. You know, he's shot some really bad percentages in college, but you see those flashes where you're like, wow, this could really turn into a forward that could impact the game. You know, a guy that has some real athletic pop to him that can really have an impact if he develops. You know, it's not a guy that I think is going to instantly be able to play NBA minutes, but, you know, maybe two years from now, you're starting to see more of those flashes. And this is a guy that maybe if you want to take a swing for something big, especially later in the draft, this would be a guy you look at. For sure. And I'm going to jump off your point. Gigi Jackson, as you mentioned, kind of a player that everybody either loves or hates at the moment. (laughs) We're kind of like torn on draft Twitter, like, oh, Gigi Jackson is going to be the next NBA star or Gigi Jackson, you know what I mean? Like, as you mentioned, he is extremely raw, probably the most raw but talented prospect in this draft, if I'm being honest. And I say talented, obviously, we throw aside like Scoot and Wembenyama and Brandon Miller and all those guys. But anyway, 6'9", 215, freshman. The interesting thing about Gigi Jackson, too, is he's the youngest player in this draft. I believe he's still 18, if not. I don't think he'll be 19 before the draft, or if he is, it's like very freshly 19. Our youngest player in the draft, reclassified to the SEC, second highest scoring freshman in the conference, which was very impressive. But as you mentioned, it's the efficiency and it's the shot selection and some of the shots he takes. You know, I mean, his field goal percentage. This is a guy that if I told you look up Gigi Jackson and you just went to the box score, you would be very concerned. You'd see, okay, 38 percent on field goals, um, takes a lot of long contested twos, only shoots 31 percent on those long contested twos. Um, still very raw and unpolished, lacks a little passing accuracy, 86 turnovers to 27 assists this year, his freshman year. Free throw shooting is a little suspect. This is a very red flag here, but shot just 48% on layups. He will need to improve there, but the signs are there. You know, I mean, you watch some of the athletics, you watch some of the finishes, and you see like, hey, this can be a good NBA player. He's got a quick first step, very dominant rebounder, great rim runner and transition finisher. Uh, he has a good block and steal rate, strong frame and athleticism. That's my takeaway from Gigi Jackson. Ambidextrous finisher who converts contested shots, but at the same time needs to convert them at a higher rate. Great slasher um, and a good spot-up shooter. Not a great spot-up shooter, but you know what I mean? You see the potential there. My player comparison for Gigi Jackson is a mobile Marcus Morris or even like a Julius Randle type. Um, that's who Gigi Jackson reminds me of. And as you mentioned, this would be the swing for the fences pick if they took Gigi Jackson. There was a debate on draft Twitter. If you put Gigi Jackson, because he's so young again, if you put him in the 2024 NBA draft, if he stayed at college for one more year, does he go number one? And I don't, I'm not saying the answer is yes. I'm a little lower on him than most. So the answer would probably be no in my mind. But the fact that he is being brought up as that type of talent, and we're talking about possibly getting him at 21, Gigi Jackson looks like a good pick, regardless of the situation. Probably fits better in a rebuild, I would say. But this is the ultimate step up to the plate, swing for the fences, probably throw him in Long Island uh, for a year and see what he becomes. But 
I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I'm not super high, but I'm intrigued by Gigi Jackson, Jackson, I could say. Yeah, I think you look at kind of almost every aspect of his game and they all need polish. You know, that's really what it is. There's flashes in a lot of different areas, but he doesn't necessarily have the consistency. And that's where you have to trust your coaching staff to develop. And, you know, the Nets haven't necessarily been great with that the last year or two but the previous seasons they really have turned some diamonds in the rough into good role players or starters in the nba so you know it'll be interesting what they do i've even heard people kind of compare him as a better version of you know john collins or potentially a better version of john collins so it'll be interesting definitely has you know that solid frame that you could just see him being a physically imposing player especially as he continues to get older as you mentioned only 18 at this moment in time but who's up next Next up, another name that is very commonly mocked to the Nets. We have Leonard Miller out of the G League Ignite. And let me start by saying the G League Ignite yields some very good NBA talent. Like that is a great way if you are a high school prospect. You need to start thinking about, obviously make your own choice, but the G League Ignite has become a kind of an avenue to get players to the NBA. We see like Jalen Green and Scoot Henderson, and it's really going to start picking up in the next few years. I know, I don't know how to say his name. I think it's like Matas Buleus or something like that. Um, projected top five, if not even the number one pick in 2024, just committed to the G League Ignite. Um, they're going to get a lot of talent, and soon people are going to see that this is a great avenue to get NBA players. So we got Leonard Miller, did not get as much shine because Scoot Henderson was his teammate, and obviously there's a lot of a lot of smoke and fire with Scoot Henderson over there. Um, 6'10", combo forward, 7'2", wingspan, 2'11", so he should bulk up a little bit. But hey, again, these they're kids. They're, he's 19 years old. Player comparison for Leonard Miller. I think this is a great player comparison. Jared Vanderbilt. You see what Jared yep. Vanderbilt brought to the Lakers and even like Minnesota and Utah in the past. Um, this is a guy who I would say Leonard Miller's calling card. And, you know, Sean Marks has been preaching this forever. And that's Twitter. We've been saying, like, we need this. Leonard Miller is one of the most dominant rebounders in this draft class. Like, he's got passing vision. He can take bigs off the dribble. This is a double-double machine. Um, still needs a lot of shooting polish. Like, I would say he's... His three-point shot is there, but it's below average. I mean, you're going to see that's a common theme with a lot of guys in this draft. Very talented, but hey, how's the shot look? Um, it, there's room for improvement, but there's also like room for optimism there. This is a, another weakness of Leonard. I would say gets a little careless. There was a lot of turnovers and fouls a lot, but hey, very physical forward. Um, thrives in transition, high motor and effort. 83rd percentile in transition points per possession. And he finished 69% of his shots at the rim, which is in the 83rd percentile. Um, hold it with a grain of salt. You know, Leonard Miller, a lot of these G League Ignite guys, they did not play against college competition. So we have to grade them from a different scale at the same time. He's playing against former NBA players in the G League. He's playing against better talent, I would say. So Leonard Miller, not a guy necessarily higher on my list, but I could see the intrigue and I could understand that this is a guy that's probably going to go to an NBA team and make a difference from day one. Yeah, he really intrigued me, you know, as soon as I looked him up just because of the height and the wingspan, you know, six foot ten, seven foot two wingspan. And like you mentioned, rebounding his ability to have an impact. I love the Jared Vanderbilt comp because I think instantly he could do a lot of those things. Obviously, would still need to polish a little bit in terms of, you know, adjusting to the NBA and you know, turning up defensively and just focusing on those details. But you also love the potential. Like you look at him and there's just some flashes where you could see him really developing into a really good player. Maybe not an all-star, but an above average starter and just a guy that could have a really big impact on the game. Like you could see 
if he hits his ceiling, how he could fit on a championship team. So if I was necessarily taking a swing for the fences in the first round, this would be a guy I look at because I just think that there is some major potential with that body type. Obviously, you know, he could bust out and have no success in the NBA. But I think with the way the NBA is moving and, you know, the versatility versatility necessary for your forwards is this would be a guy I look at because he could complement a lot of different players in the NBA. And again, you know, uh, similar to uh, Jalen Huchifino, you are you know, banking on that three-point shot developing because if he adds a three-ball, now he's really you know cooking with gas. For sure. And the thing with Leonard Miller, I'm just going to have one final note on him, is I feel like his floor is also a little higher because there's always room for hustle and heart guys in the NBA. Like you look at like Reggie Evans or Kayvon Looney or a lot of these guys who they're not going to like wow you, but you're going to see they're going to go into the game and this is going to be a fan favorite. I feel like Leonard Miller already has that potential. And even watching a couple of his interviews, like, the kid wants to learn. The kid has a great mindset. Um, this is a player that, whether they get him in the late lottery for another team or whether the Nets get him at 21-22, I think he's going to make an NBA team happy. I don't think it's exactly, like, the sexiest name or pick, but I think it's a guy you're going to take in, like, four or five years. You're like, oh, like, this is this was a pick worth taking in the 20s or at 16 or 19 or wherever he's taken. Yeah, like you said, you feel pretty good about him at least becoming a hustle rotation player. Maybe even if it's not a starter, a guy that's coming off the bench and having some of those plays that kind of get the crowd hype, you know, finishing in transition, forcing a steal, blocking a shot, you know, grabbing offensive rebounds, whatever it is. I think he entices me. I'd be pretty happy if the Nets were to draft him and that was kind of like their swing for the fence guy. For sure. Who's up next? Next up, we have Ryan Rupert. This is a this has been a common name on Nets Twitter because yep. Ryan Rupert had came out and said, Mikhail Bridges is my favorite player. Not even quiet about this. Um, and honestly, <laughs> my player comparison for him is Mikhail Bridges light and like a smaller OG Ananobi. So Rupert, as we know, Sean Marks has actually scouted Ryan Rupert twice, according to Twitter and according to these sources we've heard that are pretty verified. Um, so where there's smoke, maybe there's a little bit of fire. We know Marks kind of likes taking a look at these international guys. Rupert is one of the best. Obviously, Wembenyama is in a tier of his own regarding draft prospects, let alone international prospects. But Ryan Rupert is very interesting. I would say probably my most intriguing player in the draft where it's like, oh, let's let's shake this box up and see what's inside. Like this is a player that has a lot of potential. It's a matter of if he reaches the potential wing player forward six, seven, one ninety two. So, again, another guy that kind of needs to put on some weight. If he could get to like 215, 220 from one ninety two, that would be great. Played in the NBL at 19 years old. So again, different competition. He's not playing against Americans per se. He's also not playing against college players. He's not playing in the G League. He's playing in the NBL. So I think it was Australia, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not too familiar with other leagues. Um, We'll ask our guy Jack Manuel about that another time. But um, pros for Ryan Rupert. His defensive instincts are the first thing that jumps off the chart for me. This is arguably the best perimeter defender in the draft. And I know Kaysen Wallace... If you know the guard from Kentucky, another very safe pick projected in maybe like the 9 to 14 range. Kaysen Wallace and Ryan Rupert are probably the best perimeter defenders in this draft. So you watch Ryan Rupert. He reminds you, again, as I said, smaller OG Ananobi. So it's a guy who defensive instincts are off the chart. He covers multiple positions, very, very versatile, fluid motions, pushes the ball. Even you watch him get to the rim, and it kind of reminds you, obviously, like, take this with a grain of salt because it's not a player comparison, but... His strides remind you of Giannis a little bit. Like the way he gets to the rim when he extends, 
Um, great wingspan, seven three wingspan for a six seven guard. That's that's incredible in my mind. Um, this is it's a guy who fits the modern NBA. Great in transition, moves without the ball and cuts well. Free throw shooting is good. Good passer and playmaker. And even though the percentages indicate otherwise, if you just watch like the eye test and the film, he's a guy who has like shoot off the dribble potential. You don't see it a ton. It's not necessarily like a Bryce Sensa ball where it's his bread and butter, but he has the potential to be a guy who could shoot off the dribble. Um, but, you know, it's it's another guy. This is a swing for the fences pit. Along with Gigi Jackson, Ryan Repair would be a either a draft and put him in Long Island situation or a draft and have him learn for a year before he actually sees the court or he only sees the court in garbage time. But this is a very interesting player who, if he develops his offensive game, we're talking about a legit like two-way threat in the NBA. Yeah, I think you're pretty safe with this defense already. Like you said, just the measurables alone, you know, the seven, three wingspan with the six, seven height, you know, we talk about creating space with your three point shot. You know, he's eliminating space with his wingspan and his ability to kind of just close out and use those instincts defensively. I think, like you mentioned, you know, needs to get stronger. I think that would drastically improve his offensive game, especially when it comes to finishing inside, being able to kind of eat contact. And then similar to a lot of the guys we mentioned, you know, is that three-point shot going to become consistent at the NBA level? And if it can, now all of a sudden you're talking about a really impactful two-way player rather than a guy that's maybe, you know, more similar to like a Matisse Thibel that doesn't necessarily have that offensive impact, but it's really good defensively. So that's, that's where he needs to kind of take that next step to, be really good. But like you said, raw prospect, a guy that you could swing for the fences in, and there's a, a good chance he could be around there for the Nets pick. For sure. And uh, Rupert, honestly, this is a name I would love. I'm not going to lie. He's higher on my list, but it's also a, you know, I mean, if you decide to go the win now route, maybe Ryan Rupert doesn't make a ton of sense. If you run it back or if you rebuild, I mean, he's a great pick. He's a guy who has a lot of untapped potential. I know that word gets thrown around a lot when we talk about the draft, but hey, Ryan Repair, as you said, the defensive instincts alone will be a guy that could get him some rotation minutes in my mind. Yeah, I think also another way to look at some of these draft picks and, you know, we'll jump into this question a little bit later, but it's also like if they draft a guy and he looks like he has a ton of potential now, he becomes a trade chip at the deadline, you know, or potentially in the next offseason. So there's always kind of different avenues to look at what the Nets are going to do with this draft and how it can impact the future. But who are we going to next? Next, we have another name that's kind of been picking up steam on Nets Twitter, even though probably be gone in the lottery. But hey, again, we can't say this for everyone because some of these potential lottery picks are going to draft to someone's going to be are there. going to fall to where the Nets are drafting. Yeah, exactly. So next, we have Derek Lively, the second, the center out of Duke, seven one two thirty. So as a center, that's a little light, but you know we've seen this in the past. Minus Dayron Sharp, like we had Jared Allen, needed to put on weight, needed time to develop. We had Nick Claxton, needed to put on weight, needed time to develop. And look where both guys are now. And I know we're going to say, like, oh, like, Claxton, like, are we going to pay him, yada, yada. And Jared Allen, like, everyone's going to look to that Knicks series and be like, oh, that's that's now a bad contract. And But look at it this way. This is a guy you're taking in the 20s. Like, Claxton was picked 31. Jared Allen was picked 22. Lively will probably go a little higher simply because there is not a lot of center talent in this draft. Like, after Wembenyama, <laughs> It's probably Derek Lively wherever he goes. It's probably, I mean, there's a lot of like talented forwards who could play center, but Lively is like the pure center per se. Um, as I said, seven one two thirty player comparisons. This is a lobs and blocks guy that we see a lot of these in the NBA. So my player comparisons for Lively: Willie Cauley Stein, Tyson Chandler, and actually our friend Nick Claxton. You know, what I mean, this is a thin center who has great defensive instincts, 
is very mobile, like covers a lot of space and uh, just a guy you could anchor your defense on. Unreal yeah. defensive motor for Derek Lively. I'm talking like this. This is a guy who's going to step into the NBA and already be like an NBA level rim protector and shot blocker. Great weak side defender. Like if he's if the defender is coming, he could easily uh, recover. If let's say, I don't know. Let's let's put this in a situation of the Nets. Let's say Cam Thomas, his man blows by him. Lively is a guy who, if they're playing on the same team, can easily recover, make up for Cam Thomas's mistake or whatever, and get a block or alter the shot. Very versatile, great at switching, um, great at guarding quicker players. I know it sounds familiar to a certain starting center with the Nets. Athletic, mobile, 77% finishing at the rim, good passing for a big man, um, the only cons are he kind of does have offensive limitations. If you look at his stats again, 5.4 points per game. I know like that doesn't exactly scream woo when you're like looking at guys in the teens, guys in the early 20s. Um, a lot of offensive limitations, as I mentioned, gets a little lost in pick and roll coverage. I mean, we kind of do see that with guys like a little older in the NBA. But for a guy as young as him, it's it's promise. And there was this video of Derek Lively shooting corner threes at the combine. And I think he made like 14 or 17 in a row. And I must point out, Derek Lively is, again, I, I said this already, but offensive limitations. He is not an offensive player. This is a guy who's going to anchor your defense. The fact that he was shooting threes, which he only shot, I don't have the percentage in front of me. I think he shot like 6% from three in college or something like that. Something wild. The fact he made whatever it was in that video, 14 or 17 straight from the corner, and he looked very fluid with his jump shot, like, that, that's a very good sign. Like we see if he can become even a respectable three-point shooter, I don't even mean a good one, just a respectable three-point shooter. This is a guy who's going to really boost his stock um, and honestly probably won't be there for the Nets. But hey, we like to dream. And I know I said this before, I'm kind of tired of waiting on these like skinny centers to take years to develop. If Lively is there at 21, I think I speak for many of us, like this would be a great pick. Yeah, it's some Nick Claxton insurance potentially as well. You know, like you mentioned, contract running up at the end of the year, potentially involved in other trades. You know, Lively will give you that mobile center. And like you mentioned, the wingspan and the height, it's like almost Mr. Fantastic out there with his ability to kind of impact defensively. Um, the three-point shooting is really interesting, like you mentioned. You know, it's kind of caught steam on Twitter. And you wonder maybe is there more to his offensive game? You know, could he develop a little bit further on the end of the floor or even potentially become kind of in D center, you know, similar to how the Bucks use Brook Lopez sometimes, where defensively he's an anchor and then he spends some time at the three point line. Really interesting. And like you said, it feels like he's gained some traction where he probably won't be there for the Nets, but you never know. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? Just bouncing off your point, that Brook Lopez comparison is a good one. And I don't mean in the sense that, oh, like this reminds me of Brook Lopez, but I think that's how he can be used. Like, let's say, I hate to admit it because it's before our pick, but let's say Harden goes back to Houston. I think Lively would be the like absolute perfect pick if he's still there for them at that point. Um, just a guy, again, like anchor your defense. Even if he could step out and force the center to come out, open up driving lanes for a lot of your guards, like that's, that's great production alone in the sense that he's attracting gravity. Yeah, and I think you love the versatility defensively. Obviously, he's the rim protector, but the ability to switch and be mobile at his size is very unique and you know a way that we're kind of seeing centers trend in the NBA. But who else we got? Okay, so next we have Max Lewis. Uh, you'll see a lot of mock drafts list him as Maxwell. I actually <laughs> actually saw a video that said he prefers Max, so we'll respect his wishes. Max Lewis, the wing out of Pepperdine, 6'7", 6'10", wingspan, 195. He's a sophomore, 
Uh, my comparisons for Max Lewis, Devin Vassell, I think that's a very good comparison for him. Trey Murphy the third, or this one I didn't read anywhere, but I came up with this one. Uh, Max Lewis reminds me of a bigger Markel Fultz. And I'm not talking like current Markel Fultz. I'm talking like Markel Fultz you saw at Washington. Obviously not that high of a ceiling, but the similarities are there. Max Lewis is a good shooter off the catch. One dribble or two dribble pull-ups and step back. So he's got a little like wiggle to his game. Great movements, long strides, great in transition. Uh, his mid-range game is very smooth. He's a good ball handler. Utilizes crossovers and hesitations. Uh, skilled back to the basket score, which honestly I feel like is kind of a lost art in the NBA nowadays. Solid cutter. Uh, developing playmaking skills. He finds windows when the defense collapses, but it's still something he's kind of working on. And this is a good one as well. He has a large frame, good length. We're not talking about like a crazy Mikel Bridges or Ryan Rupert like wingspan, but hey, 6'7 with a 6'10 wingspan, if you're a wing, like that's that's incredible. Like that's something you want to see in the NBA. And this is a guy who, again, operates out of pick and rolls, pick and pops. You could see him being a three-level scorer in the NBA. And another thing too, kind of similar to Leonard Miller, is he's willing to learn. He's easily coachable and he's just a humble kid. And honestly, we know with the Nets and all the talk about culture and they want to get good guys in the building, especially PR-wise after, <laughs> after, let's be honest, after the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving era, Max Lewis kind of fits yep. the bill if he's there at 21. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, some areas to clean up, probably some of his decision making, some of his, uh, you know, uh, his turnovers. But like you said, you know, he's a guy that could come and have an impact. Obviously, uh, Kessler Edwards from Pepperdine as well. So maybe I don't know if that left a bad taste for some Nets fans or not. Obviously, he's he had his hot and cold moments, you know, going against that level of competition could be a, a pro or a con. But, uh, you know, another guy, like you mentioned, a wing that they could potentially add and has some potential to grow offensively. For sure. And. Bouncing off your point, those are kind of the issues I have with Max Lewis that kind of prevent him from being a little higher. Like, if he cleaned those up, he could be a definite lottery pick. Um, but turnovers are correctable things. Yeah. That, you know what I mean? Like, these are young players. I don't know how many times I'm going to say it. These are young players we're talking about. These are not like like the player you draft and you see year one is not going to be the player you have year five if he's still in the league. Like, they're going to learn. They're going to get into the NBA system. Um, it's, it's scary what some of these guys will become if they're, like, just coached the right way. Like, people always credit the scouting department for finding these late gems and late in the first round and early in the second round. But like shout out to the actual like training staffs that like help these guys and the player developmental teams. Like Max Lewis is one of those guys that if he's in the right system, if he gets drafted to the right team, like I could see this being a very good rotation player. Joe, anybody else you want to touch on quickly before we move on from the guys available at 21, 22. Yeah. So um, these are guys that not really brought up a ton per se, maybe a little bit, but if the Nets decide to go star hunting, I think they're intriguing. I would say Chris Murray um, out of Iowa. So Chris Murray, as we know, literally like clones, not game-wise per se, but like face-wise with his brother Keegan Murray, who we all know. Um, Chris Murray is a left-handed shooter, basically like an ideal like 3 and D guy. He's not necessarily someone I want if they go rebuild per se, but if they go star hunting, like Chris Murray is a guy who honestly, he's, he's composed. You'd feel comfortable with him in your rotation. And I would say a name that has not been mentioned because it's kind of a reach, but at the same time, if they go star hunting, it makes a lot of sense. I would say Julian Strother. Um, Julian Strother out of Gonzaga, just a very good shooter. His player comparison is going to scare some Nets fans because a lot of people compare him to Joe Harris. But <laughs> this is a guy who, you know, I mean, good movement shooter, um, very good at getting to the rim. Lacks a little defense, but so a lot of these shooters do. Uh, Julian Strother is a name that interests me if the Nets decide to go like all in. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know much about those guys, but I trust your uh, scouting on them. And like you said, you know, I think uh, the different routes could have an impact on, you know, what the Nets do in the draft and getting to that, Joe, I guess just in your opinion, what would you like to see the Nets do this off season? Would you like to see them swing for Damian Lillard, add that star and potentially get back into contention, you know, run it back with adding a few veterans and maybe a couple draft picks or, you know, just go into that full rebuild and maybe trading Mikel Bridges to Portland for that number three pick. Uh, I'm going to be real. I kind of have like a little epiphany and a little change of heart on this every few days, as do most of Nets Twitter. But I can see an argument for going all in, and I could see an argument for, okay, tear it down and get every pick in existence and become OKC 2.0. Even if you don't have your own picks, it's kind of a lost cause at this point. If you rebuild, if you get multiple picks from Mikhail, from Cam Johnson, from Claxton, like that's a wonderful place to be. Um, if you go all in, if you get Damian Lillard, I mean, Enough said. You know, I mean, Lillard is not like this is not a guy in the Trey Young category. This is not a guy in the Carl Anthony Towns category. Lillard is a guy who stars will want to come play with. So if you can get him, if it means packaging, pick 21, 22, I don't know. Dinwiddie, Simmons, Cam Thomas, Joe Harris, any of these names we've heard rumored. They're rumored at least through fans, I should say. Um, if you could go that route, I kind of understand that as well. I would say the only route that doesn't make sense is running it back with the same exact group or same core, I should say, just changing some of the role players and then drafting at 21 and 22. So if you decide to go rebuild, yes, maybe you take the swing at 21 and 22. If you decide to go all in, obviously those picks will probably be traded. I would say just we're all in the same boat here, you know, like pick a direction. And if I had to guess, they probably end up trading one of the picks and trying to stay competitive while they have Mikael Bridges on this team friendly deal. Yeah, I think the reason that um, it's easy to kind of convince yourself for going in for contention and going for, you know, potentially adding Dame Lillard, who who really would be, you know, the perfect fit with this roster, is that Mikel is on such a beautiful contract. And that's very unique to have, you know, an all-star level player making under $25 million for the next three seasons, you know, especially with this new CBA. So the Nets add, you know, Dame, they could potentially add another star a little bit further down the line with some of those draft picks and really swing big, you know, as we've mentioned on the podcast before, Sean Marks probably wants to see the team win, gives him a little bit more job security rather than if they go on a rebuild. You know, Joe Sy could be a little impatient, look to fire him and, you know, have someone in-house, you know, take those picks further down the line. And also, you know, Joe Sy maybe wants to build on some of the momentum the Nets have created with, you know, Kyrie and James, uh, Kyrie, Kevin Durant and James Harden over the course of the last couple of seasons in terms of the hype in New York and building up the brand of the Brooklyn Nets. So I think from an ownership and front office perspective, they probably want to contend sooner than later. But obviously, you know, rebuilding would be an easier sell if they were able to land that number three pick because, you know, potentially landing Scoot Henderson would be huge for this team. And like you said, running it back, I think, is the least interesting. The only way I could really talk myself into that is if they draft some guys that have some really good upside and also potentially add you know, some other young players that we've mentioned on Twitter, like a Jonathan Kaminga or, you know, even a Markel Fultz, where maybe there's more on tap potential in a new system. They could kind of take strides forward. But anything else, Joe, before we get out of here? For sure. I want to say that I understand that a lot of fans are not exactly excited because they're like, oh, well, the Nets pick at 21 and 22. And what are the odds you find like good talent there? And let me just say, I did a little bit of research before coming on here. First, let's just look at our own team. Nick Claxton picked 31. That's a very quality starting center in the NBA. Who you got with a second round pick? Cam Thomas picked 27. I mean, when unleashed, 
enough said. Cam Thomas probably should have been a lottery pick that year. Um, this is a very good pick. Joe Harris picked 33. Spencer Dinwiddie picked 38. This is just our team. This is just like late first round picks, early second round picks that ended up hitting. Ended up being, honestly, solid NBA players. We look at the finals. Jimmy Butler picked 30. This one we hear a bunch of times. Nikola Jokic picked 41. That is probably going to go down as one of the biggest heists in NBA history in terms of NBA draft. He was drafted during that Taco Bell commercial, yeah. as we all know. And, Which is hilarious. No, I know, right? Like <laughs> the league MVP and the best player in the league getting advertised the same time as the Taco Bell quesarito will, will never not be <laughs> hilarious. Um, but I looked at each year, at least in the last four or five years, and just tried to find like, oh, which talent has been in the 20s for reference? Because, you know, we're going to have people who say like, oh, like all the good players are gone by then or like there's no point. So we'll start with 2018. 2018, Anthony Simons drafted at 24. Robert Williams drafted at 27. 2019, picks 28, 29, and 30. Back to back to back. Jordan Poole, Keldon Johnson, Kevin Porter Jr. I've never seen a back to back to back in the first round like that with that much talent. 2020, Tyrese Maxey at 21. Emmanuel Quickly at 25. Desmond Bain at 30. 2021. This one's a little weaker, but Bones Highland at 26, Cam Thomas at 27. 2022, honestly, I think it's a little too early to call, but Walker Kessler, who was either second or third in Rookie of the Year uh, finishing, was picked 22. So for the crowd that says, like, oh, like, what are they going to do with those picks? Like, who knows? Like, it's, it's not really any difference makers. Just know that the 2023 NBA draft is even deeper than a lot of those drafts I just listed off. So. I'm I'm confident Sean Marks with whether he decides to keep the picks or whether, whether he decides to trade them. I'm confident in his ability. I'm going to keep it real. I think we're going to end up in a good situation either way. Yeah, I think uh, Marks has you know obviously had his hits in the draft. You know, even looking at a guy like Nick Claxton who drastically improved last year, and then we know the potential of Cam Thomas and you know what we've seen with Jared Allen. You know, early in his career with the Nets and it's developed nicely for the Cavs and. You know, Karis LeVert showed some major promise before he dealt with, you know, all of the different types of injuries and illness. So uh, very interesting to see what the Nets do. And like you said, there is a lot of talent in this draft and you can always find steals in any draft. Joe, big thanks for you for coming on. Tell the people where they can find you. My Twitter is at Joe underscore Martin 13. A lot of a lot of Nets tweets there. If you're a Nets fan, a lot of NBA content, uh, you know, I like to have a good time, I like to study the league, the draft, free agency the finals, game breakdowns, all that stuff interests me. So at Joe underscore Martin 13. And thank you for listening. And thanks for having me on, Nick. No problem, Joe. Appreciate all the input you had. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. And check the buzz on all streaming platforms.